Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Scoopy Radio is brought to you by Green Line Movers. Green Line Movers is New Jersey-based, East Coast branched. Visit www.greenlinemovers.com. Being one of the most trusted names in moving service, you'll get first-class treatment for your belongings for both your residential, commercial, and flat-rate moving needs. Your moving process with Green Line Movers is in three easy steps. First, call 973-362-5736 to get your free-of-cost estimate. Secondly, you'll get your estimate. And lastly, once you get your moving date, you'll be packed up and ready to move to your destination. Seems pretty easy, right? Well, what are you waiting for? Pick up the phone now and call 973-362-5736. And while you're at it, tell them Scoop B sent you. Scoop B Radio. B.K. Manny. Manny. L. Scoop B Radio. You know what's official if Barry Bond said, yo. The best in the business. That's word of Scoop. You either tuning in or reading the word of Scoop. He give you the business. He show you the proof. If Scoop B said you know it's the truth. Sports and entertainment, he give you the mix. Some of the biggest interviews, he give you the fix. On iTunes, the number one podcast, the joint and the journalist, the GOAT, so why ask? Watch out, watch out. about it, if he naming them, scoopy.com, do numbers like Chamberlain. Pin game is a gift, got the gift to gab. If he say it is gospel, it's as simple as that. Now pay attention and you can see the way it go. Enough of this talking. This is Scoop B Radio. You're listening to Scoop B Radio. Get on his Instagram now. At Follow Scoop him. B. At Scoop B. Follow him. Yes, sir. You're listening to Scoop B Radio with Brendan Robinson. Scoop B Radio. Radio. The airwaves, on the plane, on the train, everywhere you need to be. I am Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Make sure, first and foremost, you follow me on Twitter at Scoop B, Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B. And make sure, most importantly, that you are subscribed to the Scoop B Radio podcast. Three million subscribers and three million streams annually. And one of the reasons why is because we got newsmakers that come on the show. No different here is we've got 
NBA champion, NBA or Naismith Hall of Famer, none other than Gary Payton. What's going on, GP? What's up, Scooby? Scooby, big man. Let me tell you something about yourself, though, man. You <laughs> just flowing right there, boy. You got a mouthpiece on you, boy. You was flowing, man. Listen, I like man. that. Listen, man. Listen, when we got legends in there, we got to make sure that we getting this thing right. And, you know, to me, um, I'm I'm elated to have you on because I've been trying to get this done with you for about three years. It's This is, this is commemorative. This is celebratory. It's Gary Payton. He's a good player, but he's a rookie, and most rookies aren't very smart. Gary, tell us what a rookie does. A rookie waits on the veterans hand and foot. He shines their shoes. He buys them lunch. He carries their bag. He washes their cars. A rookie, Gary's pretty smart. You missed the spot. Um, you're you're no uh you're no chopped liver. This is this is a big deal. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. But I don't know why it took you three years to get me, man. You could have got me before that, man. What's happening, man? Why you got to answer your phone. My bad. You know, sometimes, <laughs> man, sometimes I, I don't see a number I know, man. Now I got you up on here. I got you on speed dial now, so you good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Listen, man, when I was prepared for this interview, um, there are so many things that um, just run through my mind from my childhood. Uh, I'm not going to tell you age, even though they can Google it, but there, there, there are a few things that I that I think about. One, um, I always thought it was cool that both you and Dennis Rodman kind of had like these sneakers that were different because they were like to the side. Like you had the strap to your side. That's the first thing I think about. Um, and then I did some research and I realized that you were kind of wearing low tops early in the game. And literally you live up to your nickname because your sneakers fit like a glove. Right. School, you know, that's what it was game, man. I didn't, I didn't like high tops over my ankles. So right. all when and the Nike came to me and they was like, man, what kind of shoe you want? I said, man, I can't have nothing with my ankles, man. If, if I get um, any shoe, I want to support on a low cut shoe, a mid cut. Mm-hmm where it's going to support my ankles and I want to be free because that's the way I was, man. It was just like I wanted something to fit on my feet just like it fit on my hands and the way I played defense. So we went into the lab. We created a low-cut shoe, had a monkey paw in it that grew with my ankles, and I loved it ever since. I didn't ever tape, so that was the game for me. No tape, no nothing. I just wore two pairs of socks, and I went out there and got busy. You know what I'm saying? And unfortunately, I never got hurt. Yeah, and I look at you and I look at Sam Cassell. Like, y'all were both very picky. You guys were teammates in Milwaukee. Y'all were very picky about your shoes. Like, he always wore mid-cut shoes. Right. You know, that's Sam. See, we, we, we you know, you do, do you two, two, two real ones. You know what I'm saying? We two real ones. We, we let it be known what we want, and then we go out there and get it done. You know, he picky like me. Me and him, when we was in Milwaukee, shoot, he only could eat a certain food. I only could eat a certain food. So we was picky that way, man. So, but that's my boy. That's my that's my guy. Real brother for real, for life. Where were you as a Bucks team when you guys heard that verse from Jadakiss, put your hands up, where he said, y'all scared I could tell because I'm going to get Bucks like Milwaukee because like Sam I could sell. <laughs> you know what? I was just joining the team during that time. You know that, Okay. Right? I was just joining the team, 
And I, I told her, Sam was pumping it all the time in the car, though, man. I said, man, you, you feeling yourself, huh? Daddy kids got you on one, right? So then we went, you know what, we played New York probably about three weeks later. And Jenny kids came and messed with us, man. And we kicked it, man. We went out to the club, man. It was chilling. And ever since, man, me and Jadakiss and, and, and Sam, all of us been tight. You know what I'm saying? So every time I go to the East, I go mess with him. So it, it, it was like, man, that's that's live when somebody puts you in a verse, man. When a rapper puts you in a verse, any any NBA player, if you get a verse, that means you doing something. That means somebody like you, man, and you live. You know what I'm saying? That was the slick line, but I'm going to take that and raise you this. Where were you the first time you heard your name in a rap song? You know, that was my boy Too Short. You know what yes, I'm saying? Sir. That yes, was my sir. boy Short. You know what I'm saying? But we used to kick it all the time. He used to be at my house. And then after the basketball games, when I used to stay over, we'd go to state, we'd just go to my house in the hills, and we used to play NBA jams on the pool table and everything. Gamble, shoot, all that, shoot dice, everything. We used to do everything. So that was our first verse, man, when my boy Short gave me, gave me love like that. Funny you bring up NBA Jam. So I had the voice of NBA Jam on Scoopy Radio, and he told me, a birdie tells me, in addition to him, that there are a few cabinets, a few NBA Jam cabinets, that actually have you and MJ in the game, and that you hold one, and MJ might hold one, because MJ wasn't on the game. Do you hold this four? I got four. I got I got four NBA jams, but the one with me and MJ, I got one of them. Really? Yeah. So I was, you know, I'm a big, I'm a big um uh, uh game um, um arcade game dude. Mm-hmm. I like the big games. I don't play uh, PlayStation or Xbox. I don't do none of that. I got all the big games. I own about about fifty of them. You know what I'm saying? So I got. I'm all um, in my houses everywhere, man. So I'm just doing it. I got, like, um, pinball machines, all that stuff, man. I got the old school, everything. And when it came out, man, I had to keep them. My kids like them. So I was just like, man, let me get them all, man. And then I got the Blitz, the Tecmo Boy. I, I got all that crap in in, in, in arcades, man, in big old cabinets. So I like it. But I own four of the NBA Jams. So, Gary, I got some questions about this NBA Jam because, like, 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 I fell in love with the league in 91, and I remember being a childhood reporter sitting in the locker room with you at Continental Airlines Arena with both you and Vin Baker back in the day. I was 12, and I remember NBA Jam and just the Bulls and the Sonics and Jazz and all those being a part of my life. I understand that you and King Griffey Jr., I believe King Griffey Jr. is a big gamer um, as it relates to NBA Jam. You have the cabinets. Did you play against Michael or King Griffey Jr. with those NBA Jam games? Not, no. You know what? Me and Ken, we played in Seattle at a um, at a, a thing, a bar called Julian's. Mm-hmm. We used to go there, and it was a pool thing. Mike, man, I only when I only played when, only game I played with Mike was pool. We used to shoot. He real competitive, and I could shoot, and he could shoot. We used to spend a lot of money um, going back and forth gambling. But I never got the opportunity to play either one of them in these games, man. I would love to play Mike to see if he had some skills on there because I was pretty pretty good in that. You know what I'm saying? I used to get on that NBA Jams and turn it out, and I just want us to be on fire. He's on fire! You know what I'm saying? I used to love all that. So did they actually – because, again, nobody has this. So I, I, 
pardon me for prodding, but did they actually with the voiceovers like say your name, like Hefe, Peyton, Peyton, Jordan, yep. like got all that. They got all that. And then you can get cheat codes. You can get all the things. You can make your head real big. When your head real big, you can push more harder. You can be on fire, unstoppable. You can run down. When they made my head real, real big, I used to rip everybody. It was hard for me to do it. And then you would have to get me off of that so that I can go back down the size and then go back to uh, playing regular. But it, it was it was nice, man, because you can have four players play. Sean, if me and Sean was on there, I have Sean over the house. He'll play himself. I'll play me. And then the kids will play against us, and we'll go out of man. But it was, a, it was a heck of a game. There's talk that that game could go into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Do you co-sign? It should. That was the greatest game, man, because you had four different players. You could start off with two. Then you could sub anyone you want to. You had your four top players on that game. You could sub. I mean, Chicago had Pippen, Jordan, um, Kukos, and Dennis Rodman. You know, uh, the Jazz had um, who they had? They had Malone, Stockton, and then I think they came with Ulster Tag, and then they had one more guy. I don't know who the other guy. Oh, um, Hornacek. They came with them, man. So they was pretty good. Seattle had me, Sean, Detlef, and Sam. You know what I'm saying? So we was kind of deep, man. You know what I'm saying? We we was all right. And then you could you could you could sub players and transfer them on teams at times, man. If you knew how to get into the game. You know what I'm saying? You could put other people on other teams. My, my kids was doing that stuff, man, because it's always cheat codes and all this stuff. Gary, does Zion Williamson remind you of Sean Kemp? Very much. Me and Sean talk about this all the time. We had we had an interview about this, and people was telling me who, who this guy reminds you of this guy. Yes, he does. You know, only thing I think Zion doesn't have that Sean had was that mid-range jump shot and real good. You know what I'm saying? I think Sean was a better free throw shooter. But as in height-wise and getting to the bucket, you know, it was cool. I don't know if Zion's going to turn into the defensive player Sean turned into after a while, but he got the most – all of their, their – that's the young Sean Kemp of the NBA. And the way he's playing right now, shit, he getting 30s every night, every day, man. So I think he's going to be real good. Who is today's Gary Payton? Nobody. None of them dudes can, can compete with what I did. I did it on both ends of the floor. Now, as in defense, I think two guys can come, come try to compare to me. I think that's uh, Beverly and that's uh, Smart on Boston. I think them two are, are really, really close to me. But as in their offense, neither one of them can do anything with me on offense. And I don't think they play like me on offense. I think that I was a two-way basketball player that can guard you 94 feet, turn a game, and, and um, make a game be another game with my defense. And then the offense, I come down there and I post you up and I can get it. But they don't play that way no more. They play three-point shooting up and down. We used to play half-court games. It's just a difference in big man. Our big man was our, our, was our weapon. But now, now their three-point is their weapon. GP, are you with me? Oh, yeah. We have a church. We ain't gone nowhere. Nowhere. When was the first time that you heard Kirk Franklin's GP, are you with me? Did you feel like he owed you a couple dollars? <laughs> you know what? I thought he was really talking about me at first. You know what I'm saying? And then, uh, you know, when he started, when they started saying God's people, I was like, oh, wow. I get it, man. 
But it was a good song for me, man, because everybody everybody do that with it all the time. GP, are you with me? You know what I'm saying? They always started. It's a good thing to to have the initials of God's people and Gary Payton. You know what I'm saying? It was just fortunate that, you know, uh, Kirk Franklin made it like that. You know, I thought it was about me at first, but, you know, it's even better to even see that. And then I get I get love all the time about that. You know what I'm saying? Just what you just did. A lot of people always come up to me always saying that. But I, I feel honored to even be even thought about in his song like that when he was doing a gospel song. And then the public address announcer would say, GP, are you with me? With back in Seattle. Yes, 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 he was. He was all good. We had, I told you I was having everything jumping for me, man. And they would they would play the song every time I get a, a three-point play with, with, with my um with my um car thing. They used to, ah! because I was fast <laughs> going down, going down the thing, and then they'd be right. like, GP, are you with me? So it was good, man. I, I I had a lot of stuff, man. I was I loved I love Seattle a lot. What would it take to get another team in Seattle? You know what, Scoop? I think it's going to happen in about another three years. I think that all the people are just waiting. I think Adam Silver is just waiting for the TV deal to come up and see if he can do expansion. He's not going to let another team leave another uh, another city. Uh, I, I don't think you, I don't know if you heard the rumor when Alex Rodriguez and them was buying the team mm-hmm. that they were going to move it to Seattle, and then all of a sudden NBA came in and said, "Nope, we're not doing that." I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I think the only way that Seattle get a team is if a team goes broke and they got to move. It got to move. Or we get a two-team expansion and go from 30 to 32. That's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot, and it's going to take a lot for them owners to agree about it. But I think that they know that Seattle is ready and they're the first one runner-up in the West. JP, tell me something. Um, you talked about A-Rod and ownership. You're seeing even what Dwayne Wade did with the Utah Jazz. Um, if you had if you had your druthers, um, would you pick ownership or coaching as your first executive move? Ownership. I would I would rather, I would rather, I wouldn't even want ownership. I would rather want to be the president. Scoop you know what I'm saying? Radio. I would want to rebuild a team the way that I know I can rebuild a team. With what I went through with a Seattle Supersonic team and, and bring in the dogs that I could get in. That means I'm controlling everything. I'm bringing in the players to do. I don't want to put nothing on a, on a coach because if I'm giving the coach the players, now he's got to deal with it. He's not the one who's out there playing. If I bring him, if I bring him Chihuahuas and don't bring him Rockwallers, then he ain't going to win. You know what I'm saying? So I yeah. want to bring the Rockwallers so when he get out there, he don't have no other choice but to say, man, I messed up. I ain't letting, them, I ain't getting them to play the way they want to play. So I'd rather be a president so I can make it the way I want it to be. I think it was the late Notorious B.I.G. that said, nah, not only am I the client, but I'm the player president. Yes, sir. Million-dollar million yes, question. If presented with the opportunity to have an ownership stake in the team that goes to Seattle, who would you take with you? And would you want to be the person that's the face of it in an ownership role? Yeah, I would. I think I would. I would want to be that because I think I would get the team back really quickly. I think the Seattle fans would be really, really great on that. You know what I'm saying? I would try to bring back Dallas Shrimp, Sean Kemp, and Nate McMillan right away. I would want Nate McMillan to come back and be the coach right away. You know what I'm saying? Because of his his um, jersey and that rafter and that rafter when we come back and it goes back up there and we see all the numbers. And then they're going to retire. Then I would do the first thing. 
I will retire Dela Shrimp, Sean Kemp, and myself on the same given night and then make it. Or I would do it one at a time. I would make it make it a, a joy for both, for that one person every night. Uh, but I'll go back to back. So that's who I would bring back, and then I'll make us a focal point of the other of the, of the, um, team. I'll make us be in a in a um, in a um, runway all the time, walking around, greeting people, getting people back in the stands, and get them more excited. And then bring players in like we are, like we were. I would try to bring in like a Sean Kemp type of player. I would try to bring in like a Gary Payton type of player, a Sam Perkins or a Detlef Shrimp. And that's what I would make it. Because the fans of Seattle, they remember that 1990s. They remember it big. And we got to bring it back because if they do come back, it's going to be all start over. It's going to be all over start. And we would have to do it somewhere. Gary, um, we, we've all been bored in the house and in the house board with COVID for about a year and some change. And, you know, a lot of conversations have about just old teams. And in the past, I've had uh, Kenny Smith on the Scoopy Radio podcast where we talked about that Rockets team. And, you know, the, the easy question for clickbait is, you know, if Michael had retired, you know, what, you know, would the Rockets still won those championships? And of course, Kenny has said, yes, the Rockets still would have won. Uh, you've had Robert Ory say yes. Vernon Maxwell has said yes. I want to take a little flip here because um, you and your Sonics had the pleasure of playing against Michael and the Bulls. And I don't want to be corny and ask, you know, what I, I want to ask, ask it specifically. So it's a two-part question. One, that Bulls team was 72, they, they, they won 72 and 10, and then the Warriors were 73 and 9. My first question for you is, do you see any comparison between that Warriors team radio. and uh, that Bulls team? No. Uh, 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 I think teams are different. I mean, it came through an era. When, when, the, when the Bulls were 72 and 10, I think my team was 65 and 17. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And we played in the play. We played in the championship together uh, against each other. Uh, the Golden and, and that team was great. Uh, they had players at every position at the Bulls. Every position. I mean, not just one. Every position. Even when they was coming off the bench, they had players coming in at that position. And then they had one of the greatest basketball players ever played, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. So I'm just saying, the Warriors did the same thing. They had a great basketball team too. The only thing that they didn't do is finish it. They didn't win. You know what I'm saying? So I can't compare them to it. They had a great, great regular season. Great. You know what I'm saying? But like what Scotty says, to me, you have to finish that. You have to be the champion to even, you know, put it in. You might got the record of the best record of the of the, uh, of the mm-hmm. NBA in regular season, but you don't have that championship during that year. You know, somebody got better than you in the championship. And that was the uh, that was that boy LeBron James. So you know it is what it is, and I just think they both were great teams, but I can't compare them because it wasn't it wasn't you know it was it was different eras, different basketball players, and plus the Warriors didn't win it. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. My mom would always say, "My aunt was my uncle." You know what she'd have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you played against the Bulls in '96. What did the Sonics need that you guys did not have? I think we needed a, a little bit more of a different uh, planning. That's what it was. I didn't think we didn't. I don't. I, we had all the players to play with them. We 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 matched up with them very well. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like I said, during the regular season, they they won 72. We won 65. We was only seven games behind. You right. know what I'm saying? And then 
in a regular season, they beat us in Chicago and we beat them in, 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 in Seattle. You know what I'm saying? During the regular season. Then when we come and get into the play and it's in championship, I was hurt and didn't nobody know it. So we made a decision not for me to guard him. I was just coming off of winning the, um, the, um, the uh, NBA uh, Defensive Player of the Year, first point guard to ever do it. And then all of a sudden, Jordan had got MVP. So the Sports Illustrated put me on the cover of it, Mission Impossible. Cannot do it. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, they were putting the best defensive player in the NBA versus the best offensive player. Mm-hmm. I couldn't guard him. I couldn't guard him until game four. And I and I and I said, forget this injury. We're down 3-0. Let's try it. We just didn't plan it right. I think we should have let me go against him for right of all um from um day one. We had enough offense to deal with him. Sean was good, Dentley was good, Hershey was good, uh, everybody was good, Sam was good. We had players. And we lost to him four to two. I think we just didn't plan right for it. I think it would have been different if I would have started off on it. Fair enough. Your Jason Kidd, a guy you know well, uh, I grew up with him. I still think he had the illest Nike commercial back in the day when they did the Gil Scott Hearn, the revolution will not be televised. You had him, <laughs> Denny Jackson, Kevin Garnett. That was the future. Uh, we're both Scoop looking old right now. Again, I won't tell your age if you want to know, Google it. Um, but do you see him accepting a coaching job next season? You know what I think Jason should have been and had his coaching job. I really did. I really did. He shouldn't have got fired from New Jersey or what happened. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 things, this stuff is about politics. Mm-hmm. And they're going off politics with him about stuff that happened in the past. Everybody make mistakes. Who cares? You know what right. I mean? We giving people jobs about making mistakes about what they done did in their life a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? And you still give them jobs. This mm-hmm. guy needs a job. I think he should deserve a job. He's an assistant coach. He's been, he's waiting. That's my protege, my little brother. I'm going to ride with him until the wheels fall off. I think he should have a coaching job. I think he should be with somebody's head coach. And I think next year they're going to look at it and think about it, and they should. They should give him a job, and he should be there. What type of team do you think would be, he would benefit? You know what? That, that's, hard. that's a good question. I, I think Jason is, is a player's coach. I think he can go into anyone. Memphis would be a great job for him, for a great point guard. Uh, uh, Morant, I think Jason has to have a great point guard with him or a veteran point guard that he can groom to be just like he was so they can run the, run, run the team without them looking over there at Jason and get these players together. I think but Jason, the way he's had all of his, um, his experience now as being a head coach, with the Knicks and with the uh, and with the uh, uh, New Jersey, you know, I, I I think shoot any of these teams, any teams would be great to get him. You know, that's what I think. I think with anybody. Up to Gary Payton, lead pass to Kemp Hill, playing down. What a lob! Wow, Gary Payton with a lob ahead to Kemp. He went airborne, defied gravity. Scooby Radio, back in the flesh with the 2013. Naismith, Hall of Famer, Gary Payton. Gary, I don't know your middle name. You look like a Gary Ezel Payton. <laughs> Ezel. No, I'm going to go with the cool, the, cool little, the cool little white name, Dwayne. You know what I'm saying? Like Gary it. Dwayne Payton. That's all it is. You know? I like it. I like it. I'm Brandon Eugene Robinson, so we're even. <laughs> Eugene. Yes, sir. Yep. So, the dream team. 
is when you look back at USA basketball history, did you like one, two, or the redeem team in 2008? I like two. Because I was on that one. Did <laughs> you say that? <laughs> it was a joint. You know right. what I'm saying? We went, in, right. we went in Atlanta and tore up. You know what I'm saying? We mm-hmm. did the same thing one did. I wish we could have had a chance to play them during the time. But it is what it is. We took six of um, of their originals off Dream Team 1 and added six mm-hmm. of ours. So that was our 12. You know, I, I think Dream Team 2 was, was, was a beast, man. We competed every day just like when Dream Team 1 did. You know, but I like my team. I was on that team. You know what I'm saying? And, and then after that, I went on 2000, the 2000 team. When I went to Australia, I still like the one that I was on in 96. 96 was, was the best dream team, I think. What was that bench like when Vince Carter literally jumped over that man in that dunk? Well, you know what? I was right there. Matter of fact, me and J. Kidd was right there, you know what I'm saying, and Garnett. It was me, Garnett, and J. Kidd. J. Kidd was one that got the steal and threw it up to Vince. And I was running on the side, and I thought Vince was going to give it to me, and Garnett was filling the other lane. But then Vince said, forget it. I'm going to go and take off on this boy. And I thought he was too far. And when he started, kept going up and up and up, I said, "Uh uh-oh, this is a problem. And all of a sudden, he dipped on him. And we went crazy. Our bench almost fell out. You know what I'm saying? And everybody in the stands was going crazy, too, in Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, that was, now, now that's the best dunk ever in, in the history of basketball. Learn me a little something, GP. Um, I remember you being on that Lakers team in 2004 that went to the finals. And that was my freshman year of college. And I remember there was a lot of criticism with you surrounding. I remember two things. One, you were wearing those white and blue Jordan 12 retros. I thought that was so cool. Um, Two, there was a lot of talk about you and the triangle offense and your ability to comprehend it. And I kind of felt like that was insulting in the way that they often would insult black quarterbacks in the NFL and their lack of a playbook. Did that bother you? First of all, scoop you up, it did bother me for a minute because they didn't understand what was going on. I came from a running up and down the basketball court, me controlling the ball all the time, calling my own plays to trying to run an offense that was going through one person and we making cuts and hoping we get the basketball. That wasn't my type of situation in the game. Mm-hmm. I thought that Phil Jackson was going to change the game for us and let us run the triangle the way we wanted to run it. When we needed to run it, run and fast break anytime we want to. And then if we had to set it up, then we would run the triangle. But it wasn't like that. And then what was making it so, it made it good for us is that when Carl Malone started running the triangle and he was running the offense through the the high, the, the, the pick, the, um, the high post, where you, a person get the ball where Kobe was and where Jordan was when they were playing it, Right. It's easy because the simple fact is all you get the ball and you make a decision on who you want to pass it to or you want to cut or do you turn around and go to the bucket. I wasn't in that position. I had to remember if I was in the corner to cut, to get out or whatever. We wasn't doing that. I wasn't used to watching somebody again. I was used to doing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But when, when when Carl was in that position, Carl would always tell, gee, just cut when you want to. And I'll get you the ball. Just do whatever you want. I'm going to make it happen. 
And then when he got hurt, it became difficult because I didn't want to run that. I wanted to run up and down the floor and get up and down the floor and score buckets. And we didn't. But I adjusted to it at the end, you know, because we had a lot of people out. We had Shaq out. We had Kobe out. We had Carl out. They didn't play the whole season. And then I started playing with a lot of the younger guys, the Derek Fishers, the Foxes, and we all started to communicate with each other and started guide people through guarding each other through it. They already knew the offense. They were guiding me through it. And we got through it with our, our top guys and still made it to the championship. You know what I'm saying? We beat the number one San Antonio Spurs at the time in, in seven games in the finals, in the West Coast finals. Scoop so it wasn't radio. about me tripping and, and being incompetent of, of learning offense. I didn't want to learn a damn offense. <laughs> I wanted to play the way I wanted to play. You know what I'm saying? And, and I feel like Karl Malone playing in Jerry Sloan's uh, system in Utah kind of helped him. It was, it was an easier adjustment versus, you know, you as a point guard, respectfully, the, in my observation, I didn't play, but I, I, I can talk about the game, is the triangle to me is predicated upon big guards. You look at Ron Harper, you look at Kobe, you look at Michael, you look at Pippen. I don't, just like I think there was an adjustment for the Lakers because the triangle around the center was with Luke Longley in Chicago. There needed to be adjustment with Shaq, who was a dominant big. And in comparison with you being a defensive-minded point guard that was a scorer that would fit more in today's NBA, that was a major adjustment. Yes, it was. And, and people don't get that. You know what I'm saying? It's like I was in a foreigner. I done had played in the league for 14 years, and now I'm a foreigner to something else. It's just like you just took me out of my comfort zone and just threw me into something. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And I was trying to get through it, but it wasn't working for me. You know what I'm saying? I was sitting most of the time watching stuff. You know what I'm saying? But I still averaged 15 points. You know what I'm 15, 16 points because of me getting steals, getting out, running, fast breaks, doing a thing. The mm -hmm. offense wasn't me. You know, it just wasn't me. And, you know, I, I got through it, you know what I'm saying, I, for the whole year. And then it was just time for us to move on because it wasn't going to change. So Boston, I went to Boston next. But uh, I loved it, you know, because I got a chance to, to get real close to my little brother, Kobe, understand what he was going through. And then, you know, my big brother, but, you know, not big, but I'm the oldest, but <laughs> him finding out what he was about. You know, why he was going through stuff. And they were talking about this stuff so long, you know. And then playing with Carl Malone. So I, I was cool with it. I had a great year there. You know, everything was good. We we didn't finish the product, which we should have. You know what I'm saying? But at that time, we played against a team in Detroit that was real good. Gary, that, again, I say that was my freshman year of college. You remember your first year in school. But, like, really and truly coming home and watching the finals, um, I feel like, and you might be mad, but I feel like the, the analysts slighted the Pistons looking back on it because whenever Kobe would have an off game and whenever you as a defensive specialist, I'm sure you can understand this, I feel like Tayshaun Prince played his ass off. And I feel like they always made it seem like Kobe was just struggling. Looking back on it, do you guys, do you feel like many people just expected you to win and they didn't give Detroit a chance? Like, how do you look at that now? Well, yeah, that, they at the time, people had said we had just beat San Antonio. 
who was favored to win the whole thing, who was favored to win the NBA that year. And then all of a sudden, because we had got hurt and all that stuff, they were favored to win that. So right. when we went in there, we were the what fourth seed, and Detroit was over there. They, they were their record was worse than us, and we we was that we was the favorite, and we had home court advantage in in in, in the championship. Mm-hmm. So when it happened, they didn't give them a chance. They thought we were going to run through them because they thought we were good, but right. they didn't understand that Carl was still hurt. And when when the, when it started, Carl blew his blew his blew his leg out completely. I remember you know? that. And that hurt us. That hurt us back. So we thought we were good, too. But then when we went into this thing, turmoil blew us up. It just like two Mack trucks. We, wow, we, we went into a, a, a whole turmoil. And when we went to there, after we got, we split and at home, 1-1. And we barely won the game, game two, with Kobe's uh, heroic shot. I, think, I thought about this. I said, Man, we in trouble. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to beat this team. You know what I'm saying? Because we're not at the place where we need to be. And then all of a sudden, stuff started happening. We weren't playing defense. Chauncey started getting hot. Then everybody started blaming everything. Then I went in the, in the, in the, um, in the um, news and said, yo, blame it on me. Me, I'm getting my ass whooped. Do that. Say that Chauncey killing me. It wasn't about... We not stepping up on picks, trapping him, making the ball get out of his hand. It wasn't about that. It was about me. So we did that, but we just couldn't overcome it. They beat us three in a row in Detroit. They beat us handily, too. They were, we were never in no games. Never. You know what I'm saying? So I just think they didn't give them a chance, and Detroit was tired of that. They were just tired. Mm-hmm. They have good basketball players, and they play well. And we, don't, we can't take nothing from them. I feel like that super team. I feel. Do you do you think that that at the age that you guys were, meaning more so you and Malone, do you think you guys were, like you're known as a Sonic? Carl was known as a Jazz, you know, legend. Do you feel like the partnership with Kobe and Shaq was that can still that still makes you a super team? Yeah, I, I, I still thought he's a super team. Carl was what thirty four. 35, mm-hmm. I was 34. So we weren't really a bad team. I had just came off the all-star game. Carl had just came off the all-star game. We were still in our prime. It's just that we were in a different system, system yeah. that we weren't used to. You got to understand, we were the focal point of our team. Mm-hmm. We were the stars. They went through us. But we went to young, two young kids that was just coming up and was, was, was balling. You know what I'm saying? And we had to go through them. So we had to make that adjustment. We made that decision to go there to do that. It was good. And I I just think that we just got into too much. Kobe was going through what he was going through. Shaq was going through what he was going through with the organization. And we weren't just focused. I'm guaranteeing if we don't have no problems or nothing, if Kobe doesn't uh, uh, get his problem, and we come into the season regular, we're going to blow everybody out. I'm guaranteeing that. And then Shaq wouldn't have had no problems. Shaq, you know, went through his problems with him and Dr. Buss. It was just stupid stuff. You know what I'm saying? But it is what it is. But we still made it to the championship with the other players. I give all the young guys 
the Fishers, the Fox, the Horace Grants. I give all of them a lot of kudos because I was the only one of the superstars who played all 82 games. Mm-hmm. And I kept them together. And we won games and stayed in there until our superstars, other superstars got back. And we were great. You know what I'm saying? So it was cool. The Brooklyn Nets are a super team. And I have seen memes in the past on social media. I'm sure you've seen them too, where people try to compare the Nets with KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving to your Lakers team. And, you know, there are people who feel like it can't be done. You're kind of in an interesting juxtaposition because you're a former Laker and you played on a super team, as you mentioned. And um, KD was drafted by the Sonics originally. And you kind of know that whole shebang. Do you think that people are doing too much by making that comparison between the Lakers of your era and the current Brooklyn Nets team? Scoop, I'm, I, I think people are making too much of everything that they do when they talk about who a GOAT. You don't know who a GOAT is. I mean, everybody played in different eras. You can have an opinion on who what it is. It's all opinion. You can't compare us in, in 2004 to this team here. You can't do that because we're different players with different style, different era of basketball. This basketball going up and down. They're more they're more outgoing. They shoot threes. Everybody has opportunity. You got things that's way different. Rules have changed. We don't play defense the same way. We don't play a lot of stuff the same way. It's all different. And I think now that the Brooklyn loses uh, Aldridge, it might be come down. Now you you're coming down a super team. You still got four. You still got four good ones, but you don't know what if one of them dudes get hurt. What if they're not playing with? What if this is it? Are they going to be able to share the ball when the playoffs come and they get down to possessions, not just going up and down? It's just going to be possessions, and and and, and um, referees will start calling games tight. What if they don't happen? You know what I'm saying? You know, we don't know. So I, I don't I don't compare teams. They can't compare to us. They can call themselves the super team all you want to. I compare, I, I, I thought our team was just a good basketball team with four good basketball players, Hall of Famers, which is which is good. When they can come with all four Hall of Famers like we did, then you can consider whatever you want to in the years to come. But right now, ours was great four Hall of Famers. That was it was real good. Scoopy Radio on the line with NBA Naismith Hall of Famer uh, Gary Payton talking all things basketball. And you did get a chip in 2006 alongside Shaq, Dwayne Wade, Antoine Walker, Jason Williams under head coach Pat Riley. How difficult. Well, let me ask you this. Are you pleased that you finally got one in the end or would you have rather have had one? against the Bulls or in 2004 when you were a Laker? I rather would have won against the Bulls when I was in my prime, playing against Michael Jordan, stopping all of that. And plus being at the team that really made me, who made the glove, who made the Hall of Fame me. Seattle was a team. I wish I could have got Seattle a championship. But you know what, school? When I went to um, Miami, I didn't want to play basketball. Pat Riley came and got me, him and Shaq and the owner. They came and got me from, from Vegas. I had called it quits, you know, and they just wanted me to mentor uh, Jason Williams or White Chalk. They just wanted me to mentor it. They told me, man, all we want you to do is come in here and keep him right. We have an opportunity, a shot. I want you to play about 12, 13 minutes, 14 minutes, get him right, come in and give me a boost. I might play you at the end of the games because you're a veteran and I got more confidence in you. That's all that the game was about. And all of a sudden, 
White chocolate got hurt. Then I start playing. I start playing a, 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 a majority of the team time. Then we start struggling, and he fires Van Gundy, and he takes over. Then it was me. I'm the oldest one on the team. He comes to me and asks me to help him. I started helping him. I started having meetings with the players. We start doing things. We start changing practices to early in the morning so people won't go out at night and party. We start doing all kinds of stuff. And I think that was the best team as a family and being together than I ever been on my whole life. Because we was like 12 family members. I'm telling you. Our, our family was together. Our wives was together. Everybody was together. Pat Riley made us short act. And that's why we came back at the end and started thumping people and nobody could get out on us. And then we had that boy, Dwayne Wade, who I told him. I said, this young kid, I told Shaq, I said, this young kid is what we need, Shaq. I ain't, let, I ain't, I ain't taking nothing away from you. You're the greatest big center I have seen in a long time. But this young kid is in a role, and we got to ride him out. We just got to do what we got to do and let him get off. And that's what we did. He started averaging 35. He took us to the promised land. And when he kicked it to us, all we had to do was make a shot and then play deep. And that's what we did. We made shots, and, and we won a championship. I had Shaq on Scoopy Radio last year, and I asked him to kind of detail the differences between Penny, Shaq, Wade. And I think you're in an interesting juxtaposition because I'm going to give you that OG analysis as well. You being teammates with Kobe and you being teammates with Wade, what similarities do you find between those two gentlemen? The competitiveness, competitiveness that they have. I think both of them are very, very competitive. And when they're both competitive and they, and they got chips on their shoulders, they can do it. Both of them make big shots. They make big, big shots. You know, you can give them the ball and they do the things that they do. I think Kobe was different because he played the, the defense of both ends of the floor. I think he was a little bit different on the defensive end. They both had dog on them. And I just think that they both similar, they're similar to each other in them ways. I think Kobe has a little bit of more, more because of the defensive side that he went and got after it. He guarded all the great players. So I think that that's where they, 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 they separate. But other than that, the competitiveness that they had and the big shots that they can make and the athletic, uh, athletic ability they had, they're all both the same. Gary, tell me something. Are Jordan and LeBron comparisons fair? No. Two different basketball players. Jordan was a guy who he's going to make big shots. He's going he's gonna to take the ball every time and shoot it every time he has to. I think LeBron is an all-around basketball player. If you ask me who's a better all-around basketball player, LeBron James by far. He does everything. You know what I'm saying? He passed the ball. He passed the ball better than Jordan. He can dribble, I think, a little bit better than Jordan. You know, shooting-wise, I don't think so. Rebounding, I think he did, but Jordan did rebound. But I think they're, they're two different basketball players. And you can't just say two different basketball players. Is it a fair assessment to say LeBron is more like Magic and Kobe is more like Michael? Yes, I can say that. I think LeBron is more like Magic. He can bring the ball down. He can play all different um, um, positions. 
He passes the ball. He makes everybody around him better. You know, people would criticize him about why you didn't take this shot throwing over there. That's the way he plays basketball. Let that go. You know what I'm saying? He's putting his teammates in a position to have confidence to make that. You know, when you don't have a when you don't have a teammate, we like, oh, I'm just gonna sit there and watch him. And then all of a sudden he throw the ball and boom, he hits you upside your head. You ain't ready because you used to him and shooting that. But when you know LeBron gonna pass you the ball, you gotta be ready. You know what I'm saying? And then with Kobe and and, and Jordan, Kobe had, Kobe wanted to be like Jordan. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? He imitated Jordan to the fullest. And he and he fulfilled it. You know what I'm saying? I'm gonna have a pleasure in three weeks to be at his induction. And guess who? And guess who is inducting him in the Hall of Fame? Michael Jordan. So we gotta say Mike was uh, Jordan. Uh, Kobe wanted to be like Mike, and that's just the way it was. Gary, tell me something about Kobe. I, I'm really curious. I feel like whenever there's a young guy that comes into the mix, the old OGs can hate or like who the hell does he think he is? Was it was, was I, in a way that I think LeBron? Many I feel like a lot of people weren't accepting because it was the self-proclaimed king. Did Kobe have that similar ribbing from other vets? Absolutely. Kobe came in real arrogant. He was a high school kid coming in there talking about he's gonna be the greatest. He's gonna be one of the greatest basketball players. When he went to the Lakers, it started off when he forced forced um, Charlotte to, to, to trade. Yeah, you know, they, he forced the Hornets to trade to the Lakers. So it is what it was, man. That's where he wanted to play. Then the OGs was like, man, what does kid think he is? You know, making people do this and that and that. Then he coming up in there saying he's going to be the greatest. How did that work out? It worked. You know what I'm saying? So I I just say, yeah, a lot of people were, were, were really against him because of how he acted. But I loved it. He had an attitude. He had, a, he had a dog to it. He told him what he was going to be. He yeah. proved it. He did it. So, hey, it is what it is. You being from Oregon State, it's a distinguished group of gentlemen to have graced that campus. And I'm talking A.C. Green, you, Brent Barry, Corey Benjamin, Eric Moreland, and your son. When you look at that, it reminds me of Gonzaga because I feel like over the years, John Stockton took it and ran with it, and they went to the, to the national championship. Number one, how does it feel to be part of that distinguished group? And number two, how cool is it to see it blow up to eight the way that it has? You know what, Scoop? I, I, I'm, I'm very happy. You know, when I went to Oregon State, nobody didn't think I was going to go to Oregon State. It is what it is. I had my mom, my mom pick my school. So when I went there, People were like, man, these dudes just got a diamond in the rough. They got a dude that ain't even supposed to be here. And I went to a coach in Ralph Miller who who really, really put his foot down on defense. You had to play defense or you wouldn't play. So I went in there and started playing deep. I was an offensive-minded guy coming out of high school. But to go there, and then when I started winning and changing the program around, and we started being ranked, we started winning 25 games or more, we were doing that. We was going to the NCAA tournament. It was just something that was great. I stayed all four years because of that, because I wanted to come back every year and get taught and become that good basketball player. And then to see the other guys that come in before after me and AC who was before me, to see them. Uh, you forgot Charlie Sitton. You forgot all them, Ray Bloom, Bradford, all them guys who came before me. That was great. And I was looking at it. 
And now my name is up there as an All-American and one of the best basketball players ever played at Oregon State. And in the Raptors, I'm, I'm very happy. And then to see my son come and have a great two years out of junior college is even better. You know what I'm saying? So I was happy that I went to Oregon State. I wouldn't even change it. And then now that they make it to the lead eight, hey, this is what I've been waiting for. You know, we've been waiting years and years. You know, remember, we didn't even go to the NCAA tournament for 20 years until my son came, and then they went to the NCAA tournament. Now he done left. It's been about, what, eight, not eight more years. And now that Tinkle made a good Cinderella run, let's not stop. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? This might get you recruits. Now get recruits in here and know what to do to get back to this NCAA tournament and do what you did. You know, we got an opportunity. We made a Cinderella run. Nobody thought we was going to be there. Man, we was 11 and 11. Had a, had a chance in hell to go to the NCAA tournament. And we go and win almost, well, we went nine out of 11 games, win the Pac-12 tournament, go in there and then start beating good teams. Let's just ride off of it and get it right. We just gave them $17 million more. Come on, man. Do your job. Recruit these guys. It's going to be easy now because it's big. You, you went to the lead eight. I remember growing up watching Hanging with Mr. Cooper, and that's when I knew Oakland was just different. Mark Curry playing for the Warriors. Did you <laughs> want to play for the Warriors growing up? Never. Never, <laughs> Never ever, ever, ever. I didn't want to go home, man. I'm out. I'm, man, look here, man. That just, that's rough. That's tough. You know what I'm saying? And playing in your backyard. Never wanted to go there. Never ever. It's just that it was it was what it was. I wanted to play for the San Antonio Spurs. You what? know what I'm saying? Yeah, I wanted to play for the San Antonio Spurs because of uh, George Gerber. That's my that's my childhood. Um, I, I, I idolized him in his childhood as a basketball player. I had him all over my room, and he's like a pop to me now. You know, um, when my father died six years ago, he became like my father. I talked to him all the time. You know what I'm saying? And it's like that. And I had him induct me into almost everything that I've done. Uh, Hall of Fame of high school. Hall of Fame. And I got in touch with him Hall of Fame of high school. And he was knowing that I was about to get come to Oregon State and be this young. He, he, gave a, he gave a thing, a little speech on the video, and they said it. And my high school jersey got retired during my time in, in the NBA, my first year. And then I got to meet him and everything else after that. I went into every Hall of Fame. I always call him and ask him. You know, I'll get to see him, too, in three weeks because he's going to be there. So I'll get to spend more time with him. And then what's so fortunate, I got to be with him at the Big Three. He was a coach and I was a coach. I was with him every week during the summer for 10 weeks straight. So, you know, I got to see him be with my pops, and it was cool for me. Couple more questions. Number one, Chris Paul is seems so stoic at this point in the NBA. He's able to kind of go into teams and and just be who he is and lift him. Um, when you look at Chris Paul, the first word that comes to mind is amazing. Amazing young basketball player with a lot of heart and dignity. Now he he just a player when he first got in the league, and I went out of him when he played for New Orleans, and he didn't back down. And then I. And then I walked over to 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 the sideline and um, who uh, what you call him was coaching um, for the Lakers, the guard. Yeah. Um, uh, what's the guard that played for the Lakers? Uh, it was him. Byron um, Scott. Byron Scott. Byron yeah. Scott was the coach. Byron Scott was the coach, and Byron came over and said, 
Look, that ain't the one player. He said, this one is a dog. He said, he ain't going to back down. He going to go at you. I knew right then and there he was going to be really good. I watched him at Wake Forest a little bit. I always used to test the guards. I knew he was a dog. Him passing me on, on a lot of stuff now, he's only like 100 and something behind me and his steals right now. Passed me up on the assist. Um, I think on the yeah, assist. I, I'm not surprised. I always say this for the last two, three years. It's only two true point guards in the NBA right now. Two. It's only two. That's true point guards. And that's Rondo and Chris Paul. It's only two. That's true point guards to me. That they think get their players better first and then go and do what they're going to do last. And, and that's him. And I'm not surprised that he got this 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 Phoenix team rolling. I, I'm not surprised that he got Booker playing the way he playing. Booker is now playing like a basketball player, not just to go out there and get points. He can get his points, but he knows it's about winning now. And then you got to give it to their coach, Monty. Monty changed him too. Monty went and got Chris Paul because Monty was with Chris Paul in New Orleans and knew what he can do. He knew he still had something in him, some life in him. He brought him there, and he's doing what he do. And that's why they're good. Should they? 39 and, and 15. That's incredible. incredible. Last question. 30 seconds. Will Damian Lillard win an MVP before the end of his career? Hell yeah. Absolutely. He from open, the bigly, bigly O. He where I'm from. Great basketball player. And people keep talking about why he don't change teams and team up. He ain't that type of cat. He want to do it on his own. He built from where we built from, this soil over here in Oakland. He want to win it on his own. He want to win it by himself. And, yes, he will get MVP. I don't care what nobody say. He's going to get MVP before his career is over. You heard it first. The Glove, the Hall of Famer, the NBA champion, and uh, part-time preacher. <laughs> Thank you for joining Scoopy Radio. Always, Scoop, man. Anytime. You got my number now. All you got to do is hit me. Did you get my text? I got your text, man. I got it. I locked you in and everything. When you hit me, it's going to be a straight call back. All right. That'll work. And this is Scoopy Radio saying, you bring the coffee and I'll bring the Dunkin'. Come on. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O- L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.